Sacktown Sports. Headlines. Happy Wednesday, I'm Simone, and these are your Sacktown Sports headlines. Sacramento Kings training camp is officially underway. Keep up with the Bean team all camp long as we head into preseason. Of course, the first preseason game tips off from Toronto as the Kings square off with the Raptors this Sunday, October 8th. Head to SacktownSports.com to preview the set and tap into the latest Kings news and notes. Nothing says October quite like postseason baseball and Wild Card Wednesday. Eight teams will take the field today, but only four will move on from their respective best of three series. I'll run down who's in and who's out all afternoon long. I'm Simone. Those are your headlines on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, welcome into the debut of The Drive Guys only on Sacktown Sports 1140. Let's get it. Thank you, Simone. Welcome to the inaugural journey of the Drive Guys. Kyle Draper, how are you? I am great. I woke up uh, excited today. Got up super early, fired up the laptop, got the prep work in, went to the farmer's market. You know, the sun was out. The birds were chirping. I did have to go through the whole HR process when I arrived into the building. So that was a little bit, you know, Rachel's great. She's a great person. I love Rachel. She's awesome. But, you know, that's like an hour of like, right, she got to follow them. But I'm ready. I'm hyped. I'm ready to go. Yeah. And thank you for selecting our theme music. Oh, this is a classic right here. This is a great choice. As soon as you said it, I was like, that's it. That's it. Appreciate you, Simone. No, so I'm excited, man. Ready to get this thing started. And I guess you had to get up early to write this piece you wrote for The Ringer on the latest quarterback rankings, right? Hey, you know I'm the Brock Purdy's biggest (laughs) fan, right? I've been all in on Brock Purdy since day one, Whitey. You know that. Brock's my guy, you know? I can't wait to dive into that. I can't wait. Yeah, Brock Purdy ranked in The Ringer's latest quarterback rankings. This is actually by Steve. Steven Ruiz, 25th. Okay. Uh, 20 Mac Jones. 20. It's just funny, right? <laughs> CJ Stroud, 21. Deshaun Watson, Jordan Love, 23. Anthony Richardson, 24. Brock Purdy, 25. So at this point, some people are just having some fun at our expense. Well, you know, and we've talked about it before. Like, rankings are meant to be conversation starters. Content. Now, if they had Brock Purdy, 10... We wouldn't even be talking about it right now. If he was 15, we wouldn't be talking about it. But the fact that he has him at 25, mission accomplished. He did his job. Bravo to the ringer. Good job for you. There's no way in the world Brock Purdy's 25, right? I mean, that's laughable. Even for me, noted Brock (laughs) Purdy criticizer, a guy that uh, wanted to see more. Brock Purdy might be a top 10 quarterback right now. He might be. He hasn't had a bad game. Ever, like in his career, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, so far. And so the level of disrespect uh, Brock Purdy has garnered, and I was on board with that. I was like leading that charge. We just wanted to see more. But I I wanted to see, and through four games, he has shown me so much more. Five touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, I think the QB rating is like 116 or something like that. He has done everything you can ask a quarterback to do. And those people that want to poke flaws in his game right now, are just being haters, yeah. you know, because it's like, yeah, if they're running, it's like, it's too good to be true. But the eye test is telling me this dude's a player. That's what I'm seeing week in and week out. Well, as you pointed out to me, he was on Brock Purdy. That is, was on the today show uh, this morning. So he now has the national spotlight on him, probably brighter than he's ever experienced before. Obviously they were in the NFC championship game last year, but Sunday night football against the Cowboys. There's every reason to think that he'll, 
perform well and hold up to that scrutiny. But he did struggle by his standards last time they played the Cowboys. So this is another, obviously, uh, a real stern test for him against a Dallas defense that, despite what the Cardinals did to them, is a very good defense. Yeah, this Dallas defense is a top-five defense. I think they've only given up 10 points per game albeit against subpar competition. They haven't had the most difficult schedule. But this is, to me, the first real test for Brock Purdy and this Niners team. You know, the first four games, the combined record, I think, is 6-10 and or something like that of their opponents. So they really haven't played anybody uh, that we'll expect to see come, uh, you know, playoff time. Well, pardon me, but as you and I pointed out last week, there just aren't that many of those teams right, around right, right they're now. They're just exactly in Dallas. A lot of people believe they're the third best team in the NFC. We'll see come Sunday uh, night. But here's the thing: you were able to do it against Pittsburgh. You were able to do it against the Giants, the Cardinals, all these other teams. This Dallas defense—they have playmakers. They are pretty good, a pretty good defense. And Micah Parsons, you know, an MVP caliber uh, kind of player. And so it'll be interesting to see. This is their first real test. But I'm not that worried, to be honest with you. I said it before. I think Dallas, are, are, are they're sort of front runners. I don't think they, they have the teeth, the depth to them that, you know, you punch them in the mouth, they'll, they'll go running. And so I expect the Niners to win, but this will be their first real test, I think. I remember last year, you know, that the way the 49ers ended up beating the Cowboys in the postseason, it was it was kind of laughable because of the way the last play the Cowboys ran where Ezekiel Elliott is at center. You know, it's like, what happened to them? But the truth of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, it was a it was a very competitive game. So given that the Cowboys did give the 49ers a tough time last time they played, and given that they are capable of wreaking havoc defensively, I, I am a little concerned. On the other hand, you know, you know, uh, no digs. Uh, Trayvon Diggs is hurt. And there's also this in the red zone, the Dallas Cowboys, not to get lost in the numbers, but they've been really bad in the red zone this year offensively. Uh, they're 30th in, if you're just talking about touchdowns, red zone offense, uh, they're 30th in the league. And, you know, the 49er defense has been underperforming, underperforming a little bit to this point. But if the 49ers take care of their business when they have their opportunities, um, Dallas could be hard-pressed to score because they're struggling offensively. Yeah, and, and I think it, it boils down to Dak Prescott and his uh, decision-making. Trey Lance, right, off the bench. Right, they got Trey. They got Trey, you know, maybe run a little wildcat or something like that. Yeah. And so I, I think, you know, when it comes to the, the red zone, what, what we need to see if you're a Cowboys fan from Dak Prescott is the ability to use your legs also. In, in tight situations down at the goal line. The threat of Dak running, uh, I think, should be a big factor for the Cowboys uh, going forward in the red zone. They have the weapons. You know, Pollard's, you know, one of the top backs out there. They got wide receivers. Um, but I think it's on Dak down the stretch to be able to make plays with his, uh, with his legs. And, you know, I, I question, too, Mike McCarthy as a play caller, oh, as, you know, it's, it, like that, that's, a, that's a concern. As a head coach, that. exactly. That's a concern for me. And so you might be right. That, that game may come down to whether Dallas gets touchdowns or field goals uh, in the red zone because we know the Niners are going to score points. I, I think I honestly think it'll be a kind of a shootout kind of game, like a 38-31 kind of game. I think it's going to be an all-time classic. And, uh, yeah, I, I do. You can mark that down. The one area where, where the Cowboys struggle, however, is run defense. And CMC, oh, yeah. he may have a 
big, big game. He's already had a big season, obviously, offensive player of the week, that kind of thing. But I, I think that's going to be a key also. Can Dallas slow down a Niners run game? It's a great point. Look what the Cardinals did to him. The Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals, who may be a little better than we thought they were, but they ran for 222 right. yards <laughs> against the Cowboys. Yeah. And, the Cardinals and did that. The Cardinals did that. And, and when you look at this game, you know, you, you talk about it being a big game. Obviously, everybody's going to be watching uh, a statement kind of game. Uh, but Marcus Spears, and you had this in our notes, he said it on uh, ESPN earlier today. This is a must win for the Cowboys. This is a bigger game for the Dallas Cowboys. And I agree because. But it ain't a must win. It's not a must win, no. But if you want to be considered among the likes of the Eagles, the Niners, then it is a must win. I think if the Cowboys come in and beat the Niners, they put the league on notice that, you know what? They're for real. If they lose, then. They're the same Dallas Cowboys teams that we've seen in the past. Remember, the Niners have knocked the Cowboys out of the playoffs the last couple of years. And so I, I think if you're getting up for a game, this is Dallas's Super Bowl during the regular season. This is their big game. Yeah, and for better or worse, they've pushed all their chips in. They're talking about this game like it's that big for them. There's no, oh, you know, we want to beat them, but it's just another game. They're talking about how desperately they need to beat the 49ers. And Jerry Jones saying, you know, the road to the Super Bowl goes through San Francisco. So it's a huge game for them they've kind of painted themselves in a corner uh and uh i, I i'm like you it, it has a chance to be a very competitive game but i'm feeling very optimistic if i'm the 49ers right now yeah i would think so and i'm trying to think of a way the niners can lose this game the niners take care of the football we That's know that one. it's not you know yep. they don't turn the ball over the last you know. five times they've lost a turnover battle they have lost the game. right exactly yeah. and so that's going to be key and that's something but i will say Dallas leads the NFL in turnover margin. They're plus nine when it comes. So Dallas will turn you over, and they uh, are one of the tops in sacks as well, 14 sacks on the season. And so I think this will be the first time that Brock Purdy, outside of week one in that second half against the Steelers, but the pressure, you know, how does he deal with the pass rush of this Dallas Cowboys team? You know, that's one area in which he has gotten better over last year, and we know that last year he marvel he was marvelous, and this year he's playing great. But he actually is getting the ball out quicker, so that's one of the really positive signs about Purdy. He actually is showing signs of improvement on top of last year, and that's one of the things that he's done: get the ball out quicker. And I agree with you; it's very likely that he's going to have to get the ball out quicker against Dallas this week. Yeah, and and you know the offensive line will be tested. Remember, going into the season, that was a big concern yep. of ours: the right side of yep. that offensive line. So far, they've done a good job. They've done an admirable job, solid job. But this is a different level. This is a different test uh, for the Niners. I appreciate this. Eric Armstead, local guy, uh, on Twitter. Did you see what he had for Daniel Jones? No, I didn't see it. What did okay, you uh, Eric Armstead on Twitter for Daniel Jones. Because, you know, the 49ers, when they played the Giants, they had, I think they had two sacks. Yeah, and Monday night, the Seahawks had 11 sacks against the Giants. So, Eric Armstead says, Daniel Jones... I'm so disappointed in you. Why would you throw the ball so quick versus us and let these people have a career day? Why weren't we deserving? And he's got the <laughs> laughing face emoji, but he's wondering, how come you didn't let us get 10 or 11 sacks? <laughs> oh, that, that's, that's true because uh, that Daniel Jones and that giant squad looked awful 
awful the other night against uh, Seattle. And the question is, are you afraid of Seattle now? Yeah, because you, you are you're, not, right? terrible. <laughs> I told They're you. Terrible. I've told you since day one, <laughs> keep an eye on the Seahawks. They're going to split with the Niners this season. And so you haven't seen anything that, that you know, changes your mind that, no. you know what, Seattle might be in the mix. I like Seattle. Don't care for them. Did you see what Marshawn Lynch said about Pete I, Carroll? I did see that. Yeah, I did see that. He basically said, I don't know, I don't deal with i didn't deal with him didn't he say the same thing about russ yeah russell wilson he was just a quarterback i don't yeah 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 Yeah, it's uh i get it why you don't like seattle but trust me what is it week 12 and 14 i think it is or something like that you have to care about them you're gonna have to care about them a little worried about the lions cowboys uh, your eagles of course but the seahawks come on you keep saying that, White. I don't. That's disrespectful, man. That is unbelievable. That the level of disrespect yeah. for my guy Geno yeah. Smith. Did Gino's you see marvelous. what he did the other day? Yeah, that's incredible. We were talking about him yesterday. Yeah. You know, there was a time as recent as last year where it was easy to say, eh, "No, you know, he's not much." But right now, it's like Geno's proven he yes. helps them. He doesn't just stay out of the way. Right. He helps them win, and that's an incredible turnaround. Or, yeah, know, and otherwise. give Pete Carroll and them credit to, to stumble upon him. Nah, to find. I'd rather not do that. <laughs> <laughs> really the Seahawks hate is real. It is real <laughs> in the building. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break here. Come right back with a look at uh, JaVale McGee uh, sharing how much other teams really hate the beam thing. That's next here. Kyle Draper, Weddy Gleason, drive guys with you today on Sacktown Sports. Live and local, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., Monday through Friday. Sacktown Sports. Thrilled to be with you today. Drive Guys with Kyle Draper, Weddy Gleason. And Kyle, you've been in broadcasting a long time. You know one of the very best things about being in broadcasting is you get to meet the most incredible people. And years ago, I had the occasion to meet the founder of Jim Boys. Oh. Yeah, the actual Jim Boy himself. And he was explaining to us years ago how they uh, how he invented the tacos with the parmesan cheese anyway thanks to jimbo's on this national taco day uh they took care of us today here at sacktown sports and we appreciate that very much for them coming by dropping off some of their local organization right uh, tacos founded in what Folsom is their headquarters i do believe wow. yeah yeah how about that I'm expert on jim boy tacos man <laughs> yeah. you know? i didn't realize yeah. it was national taco day i, I don't have the decorations up or anything so what? <laughs> how can today is today really national taco yes, day it is. how can today be taco day we were talking and about it's not that. tuesday I know. yes that's a who, it's a shame oh my gosh it's just every day it's the same calendar day every year so sometimes it's not oh, gonna fall on a it's tuesday one of those. Yeah. that's like also if you run a baseball team you don't have helmet night when the yankees are in so they're already going to – Taco Tuesday, you're already selling tacos. Well, we want to sell more tacos the so next day. So do it Wednesday so that, or yeah, something like that. Okay, go. all right, yeah, I get it. I get I'm it. I'm not I, in the taco game, but that's what I'm I, I, I thought it would be like Thanksgiving. You know, Thanksgiving's not the same actual date, but it's, what, the third or fourth uh, Thursday of the month of November right. every right. year. And right. so I thought Taco Tuesday – the Set first uh, Tuesday of October <laughs> or something like that, you know, National Taco didn't, Day. Didn't LeBron try to trademark Taco yeah. Tuesday? <laughs> he did. What? It, 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 it's like Al Gore discovering the internet, right? You know, it's like, no, dude, it was, <laughs> nice you know, it was, it was there already, you know, LeBron. But uh, yeah, Taco. That's National what's for dinner. Taco Day. That is yes. what's for dinner tonight. Mm, that's a great call. Tacos. Thank you to Jim Boys. We appreciate that very much.
What did you learn at King's Media Day? And obviously your perspective is, is very um, interesting on this because you already know so much and you're around them so much. Chris and I learned a ton. Carmichael, Dave, and Jay Ross, we've been telling stories all week long. Was there anything that you, who are already so familiar with the team, learned about the team? I learned that the moves Monty McNair made, the players he brought in, while maybe not headline grabbers, will have huge impacts for this team this season. Just the way that Sasha Vezenkov carries himself. Just the way that JaVale McGee carries himself. I think those two guys will have a huge impact on this Kings team. I expect, and I'm I'm not coming around to your, your side of things just yet regarding Sasha. I don't think he's going to average 18, but... He's going to be better. I, I, I don't know what you said. I said that. I, no, but you, you had high expectations for him. Let's get you had high expectations for him. I think he could average 13 or 14. Like, I, I think he might be. I think I said 14. I think you said okay. 14. Yeah. yeah, I think. And I, you know, I laughed at you. I'm like, no way. But I think he can uh, He can be a big part. And I think JaVale McGee is exactly what this team needs. I, I think forget about the numbers and the block shots and the rebounds. But the locker room presence, a veteran, a voice, somebody that will hold guys accountable. Uh, not that they necessarily needed that, but I think that only is going to help this team. It, it's a more business-like atmosphere uh, listening to the guys. You know, they don't want to talk about, you know, all the fun stuff that they did, that the trips they, you know. Malik Monk doesn't want to talk about Fashion Week. He wants to talk about basketball. De'Aaron Fox, same thing. These guys are locked in and focused right from the get-go. One of the things I love about this Kings team, and Malik uh, really embodies it, with all the chatter uh, locally about they're not respected and people don't know how good they are, the Kings clearly don't care because in their mind it's like, we're going to show you. It, you know, We don't care what you think. We're going to show you. So that's one of the things I appreciated about the quiet confidence. Uh, to your point about Sasha, the Kings also impressed me by virtue of the fact that they have so many guys I'd never realized before who are really intelligent. I mean, yeah. really smart guys. Harrison Barnes, De'Aaron Fox, uh, Sasha Vizankov. How many languages does he speak? Yeah. You know, Sabonis and Malik Monk. Really smart guys. And I think that goes a long way towards explaining why everybody's on the same page because they're smart enough to realize, like we were talking to Malik about coming off the bench. He's like, hey, you know, we all win. You know, if I come off the bench, play well, yeah, maybe I'd like to start, whatever. But we all win. So really, really an intelligent team. Yeah, and, and one thing I've noticed, and Whitey, I, I've seen teams that have had success get all fat and happy and start believing their press clippings and, you know, really enjoy the pats it's on the back. Thing, That's it? not a good thing. Exactly. And I have not seen that for this from this Sacramento Kings team uh, so far, you know, and what I've seen from them. I see an inner hunger. I see a, a, a disappointment that a, they came yes, up short still there. last season. Yes, like, it's yeah, palpable. Right. You can feel it. You can feel that, you know, they're still upset that they lost game seven at home against the Warriors. And so that's why I'm expecting. And let's not forget, they lost their first four games last season. You know, and I'm looking at the schedule right now. It's tough those first four, but after you get rid of a couple of games against Golden State, the Lakers, Utah, you have a chance to get off to a really good start if you're Sacramento. And that's what I expect from this uh, Kings team this season. By the way, Golden State drive me crazy already because now they're talking about, and this is more the media than the players in all fairness, but oh, they have Chris Paul, they have Draymond. They're like the evil twins. They're the bad boys. The bad boys by the bay, the <laughs> Warriors. Come on. 
The Warriors. Yeah, nobody's scared of the Warriors. I'm sorry. You know, it's it's. I understand you got Chris Paul, but Draymond's already hurt. You know, like that's right. I, I'm not worried about Golden State. And you know, as I was driving into the radio, and you tell me what you think about this. I think this is a seminal moment in Steve Kerr's career because I understand multiple championships as a player, multiple championships as a coach. But the whole, the, some of the luster is wearing off. You know, what happened with the Jordan Poole, how they handled that incident with Draymond, Kaminga, Wiseman, and Moody, their development or lack thereof. Team USA over at the World Cup, you know, all these things with Steve Kerr in charge. And so I think this is a big season for him as well. It's a contract you know, year for him Contract too. year. You bring in Chris Paul. Like, he has to get this to work. They have to make a deep playoff run. They can't be a one-and-done or a two. Like, they got to be a Western Conference Finals team because they've set that bar. They've set that standard if you're a Warriors fan. And so I just think this is a pivotal moment in the Warriors franchise this season. I think Steve Kerr, is a, he's a wonderful guy and he's a great coach. But to your point, some of that is inevitable. It happens with every team and right. every sport. And I think a lot of that is probably why Bob Myers isn't the GM anymore. Yes. He realized, all right, I've, I've done about all I can do here, and this is starting to go the other way. Right. So, yeah, it's it, it, time for me to step away. No, exactly. And, and if you're Bob Myers, you're looking like, I accomplished everything I can. The only direction I can go now is down. And, and, and you know, he got off – Bill Belichick always say, I'd rather get rid of a player a year too soon than a year too late. Well, Bob Myers jumped off, you know, maybe a year too soon in his eyes. He, he didn't want to be part of the dismantling right. of that great team. That he exactly. Put together. And, and I just think, you know, when you look at Clay Thompson's age, when you look at Draymond, you know, Chris Paul's 38. I mean, I, I just think this is a pivotal year for them. And, and it's sort of like to your point, you know, inevitably, this is what always ha- same thing with Bill Belichick with the Patriots. Like you, you set a bar so high that when you, you can't, it's impossible to reach that year in and year out. And that's where Steve Curry is. He set that bar so high. Well, we'll talk more about it uh, coming up here on the program, but you saw what Steve Kerr said yesterday about Chris Paul. Uh, he said Chris Paul, not only would Chris Paul start, but the defensive rotations for the rest of the team change, including Clay Thompson, who's going to be guarding fours. It's like, okay, good luck with that. <laughs> All right. And I'm telling you, I think that's – and I, we, we talked about this last time you were on. Chris Paul ain't coming off the bench, and he said this week, whatever we need, whatever you know, it takes, uh, whatever I got to do for the team to win. But then what happens? Steve Kerr says, oh, yeah, he's starting, so – Good luck with that, Warriors. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because Chris Paul has never in his professional career or even college come off the bench. Uh, he did come off the bench for Team USA, he did say. But that, that and poor Kevon Looney, he's, going, he's probably going to be the odd man left out. And he could be, you know, their second most valuable player, third most valuable player because nobody else on the team does what he does. Yeah, and he'll do it. Yes. He may not like it, but right. he's not going to cause would do it. problems exactly. uh, coming off the bench. But speaking of JaVale McGee, it was really interesting. Uh, at media day, he was talking about the beam from the standpoint of an opposing player. <laughs> and he was saying, you know, they had that back-to-back uh, here when the Mavericks played here. And he said that the Mavs would say they would talk about the, the bleep and beam. They don't, <laughs> right? Like, we don't want them lighting that bleep and beam because that means we lost. And I never thought about this before. I think also when Steph was, you know, kind of mocking yes. the whole thing. Yes. I think that's because 
Opposing players don't like it because it's it's gotten in their heads a little bit. All the chanting and light the beam, oh, light yeah. the beam. We celebrated here, but for other teams, it got under their skin. No, for sure. And it was, you know, a, a rallying cry for other teams to make sure that the beam was not lit. The and bleeping beam. The bleeping yeah. beam. And, and they hated the bleam, but they couldn't do anything about it. They yeah. couldn't stop it. Even on the road, we saw, you know, Kings fans take over various arenas, uh, you know, down there at Crypto.com or whatever it's called now, uh, you know, the Kings fans took over that. And so I'm excited, man. But now JaVale McGee is on our squad. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants to see the beam lit every single night. Yeah. And I think that's another reason why some people look at the Kings and they're not overly impressed with the offseason, the way the Kings went about it. One of their last moves they made acquiring JaVale McGee might end up being one of the most significant. And it was almost like under the radar, like, oh, at the very end. And he could have a huge impact on this. And that's my point. You know, it it may not have been trading for Bradley Beal. It may not be uh, getting Drew Holiday or uh, Damian Lillard. But JaVale McGee is a three-time champion, won twice with the Warriors, once with the Lakers. He's been in the trenches. He knows what it takes. And it's not about, you know, 7 o'clock when they tip off or April when the playoffs play. It's about practice right now, October 3rd, October 4th, and we're already seeing it from JaVale mm-hmm. McGee. Uh, when we come right back here, tell you about one Cowboys plan for a Levi Stadium takeover by Dallas fans? What? It's Kyle Draper and it's Whitey Gleason here. The Drive Guys on Sackdown Sports. Uh, it's going to be an extreme matchup. And you see IU. They got Debo. They got Trent Williams. And Brock Purdy keeps proving himself week in, week out, dominating, doing what he do. Um, the question is, will we have uh, Brock Purdy his first loss of the season? That's something we don't know. That's why we let the pass talk. We let football talk for us. That's Micah Parsons from The Edge with Micah Parsons, Dallas Cowboy Micah Parsons. It's the drive guys, Kyle Draper, Whitey Gleason. So he's ready for Sunday night, and the Cowboys are keenly aware that they're three-and-a-half-point underdogs. As you said, Kyle, some are even framing this as a must-win scenario for the Dallas Cowboys, and Micah Parsons laying it out there. We'll see if we can hand Brock Purdy his first loss because that's who they're coming after. Ahead of the snake is Brock Purdy. Right, Brock Purdy. I I love it. And and we talked earlier, Brock Purdy was on the Today Show and and he's getting a lot of love right now. But this will be a huge test uh, for him in that offensive line. You know, this Cowboys defense, uh, you know, one of the top defenses in the entire uh, NFL, top five uh, in sacks, uh, number two, I think, in yards allowed. Uh, number one in points per game allowed. And so it's going to be tough. It's going to be a challenge. And I I just think, you know, Micah Parsons and the rest of this team, Jerry Jones, they're working themselves into a lather. Mm -hmm. You know, I haven't heard anything really from the Niners about, oh, there's a matchup, you know, know, they're not talking any trash. They're not, you know, they're just going about their business. And and the Cowboys are, are, are billing this as, you know, their Super Bowl in the regular season. And so I do expect Dallas's, uh, best punch, though, yeah. this week. You know, they're coming off a, a big win, obviously a blowout win uh, this last week. And so I, I expect the Cowboys' best punch. Yeah, we got news for you, Micah Parsons, Dallas Cowboys. You're not playing Mac Jones this week. <laughs> that was an unfair fight. 
It's like yeah. every time he's running around, oh, I dropped the ball, touchdown, Cowboys. Right, yeah, yeah. They they gave that one, they were literally giving that one away. But when you look at the Cowboys, you expected that though, right? Coming off the Cardinals loss, yeah, I like so. they, they yeah. were going to be hungry. Sure. They they were looking to make amends, atone for that. Now let's see you know, them get back to their normal game. It's a normal kind of game. Let's see what they can do against a, a better team. Well, on his podcast, Micah Parsons was also pleading with Cowboy fans to make the trip out west so that the Cowboys could take over Levi's Stadium. Uh, it's going to be super fun to watch. And I need every Cowboys nation, I need y'all to pull up to the Bay. We need to make this a home game. I'm calling Cowboys nation now to step up and be with us in the Bay. We need every single one of y'all. We need to go up another notch. We need to be the best, baby. We need Cowboys Nation there. I need all of y'all there. We're going to need all hands aboard to knock this team out. Um, and that's just what it's going to take. That's that's interesting <laughs> to hear, but I don't think the Cowboys are going to do to the 49ers what the 49ers have been doing to the Rams at SoFi. And, and, and the Cowboys, obviously a lot of tradition, yeah. great fan base, strong fan base. But I don't know if they travel like that. And, and and I'll tell you a story here, Whitey. This is a few years ago. I happened to go to a Cowboys game down in uh, Dallas. It was Cowboys-Eagles. There were probably 30 to 40% Eagles fans in mm. that building. Mm. And so the Cowboys couldn't even turn out for their own game. The Eagles took over that stadium. So I don't know yeah. if the Cowboys, especially against the Niners. Now, if, you know, some of these other teams, maybe, yeah, but not against the Niners. Right. That's not happening. Micah Parsons, we all know he's an exceptional player. But as far as trying to get Cowboy fans to take over Levi's, that's cute. Right? Hey, good for you. <laughs> good for you, Micah Parsons. You, you know that's what cute. that tells me? He's worried. He's worried because you shouldn't have to ask your fan base. The fan base knows exactly how important this game is. This one should have been circled on the calendar. This is a team that knocked you out of the playoffs twice, two times in a row in the last couple of years. You shouldn't have to beg your fans or send a message, a bat signal to your fans. (laughs) Hey, come on over, guys. We need your help. They should already be there. He, by the way, says his ankle is very well. He uh, hurt his ankle uh, during the win over the Patriots. He also talks about this Micah Parsons going against the best tackle in football, Trent Williams. But you got to figure Micah Parsons is also going to be lining up on oh, the yeah. other side yeah. as yeah. much he, as humanly he, possible. He's going to be moving because, you know, Trent Williams, you know, arguably the best offensive lineman in the, in the game, you know, possibly a future Hall of Fame uh, offensive sure. lineman, I might add as I would well. Say that's a- that's yeah, probably a sure. Thing. Yeah, he's yeah. going to be in the hall, and so, uh, but that's the thing about Parsons. He he's different. He's he's a new breed of defensive lineman, right? He can move around. He can play multiple spots. He has the athleticism. If I'm Dallas, I am lining him up on the other side, as you know, of the line. I'm not having him go against Trent Williams. So that'll be something to look at uh, come Sunday. Right when they play in the playoffs, Dallas. Had a lot of success putting pressure on Brock from that side, and Brock pretty countered with a lot of slants there. You know, you throw to that vacated spot, so then the chess match continues because Dan Quinn knows that. We'll see what the counters are. But it's interesting now the way the 49ers are playing, and I've made this point a number of times over the last few weeks, Kyle. We know if you've watched the 49ers for a long time, there's always talk about the offense and Kyle Shanahan and the play calling is so great. Uh, and this offense with the motion and pre-snap, everything, it's, it's so sophisticated. But... Basically, the 49ers, their foundation was defense. So far to this point, the offense is playing better than the defense. Uh, And it may be that this team's identity is shifting a little bit. Yeah, I think so. This is a a team, you know, last year that depended heavily on the defense. You know, when they 
turned the corner and they made that run. It was the defense that really stepped up. Now the defense is sort of a middle-of-the-pack defense, especially against the pass. They're not getting to the quarterback as much yeah. as I, I, I'm— Last week against Arizona, they were, they were pretty good. They were good, but, yeah, but yeah. yeah, they aren't forcing a whole lot of turnovers either. And so, uh, but, but when you're the 49ers and that defense, you give them 24-31 points. That's all you really—like, you don't need to, you know, uh, score, you know, 40 points. Like, the defense is good enough. And if you're the defense, I'm saying— we know our offense is going to get 24. Mm-hmm. We know our offense is going to get 31. So we don't have to, you know, hold a team to six or 10. Or I would like to see that, though. Let, let's keep it real. <laughs> I would like to see the defense get after it, force Dak Prescott into three or four picks, sack him four or five times. Like, th- that would make me happy. If you're a Niners fan, that's what I would want to see. You remember that Ravens team that won the Super Bowl with yes. Trent Dilford quarterback? Yes. Uh, about 11 years ago, I was doing a show – uh, with Rod Woodson, he was filling in. So we're talking, Rod Woodson was like the co-host and Rod Woodson called Shannon Sharp. And so they were just talking. It was awesome to just hear them talk. They were talking on the radio about that team. And Shannon Sharp said, Rod and Ray Lewis, they would come to us and they'd say, or no, he said, we would go to them. We'd go to the defense. We'd say, Ray, Rod, how many how many points do you guys need this week? <laughs> and they would say, can you get us 10? If you get us 10, wow. we'll win. And Shannon's like, yes, we can do that. We, we will do 10. that. And then, they, you know, they were one of the greatest defenses ever. Yeah. They ended up winning the Super Bowl. But that's not this 49er team right now. No, that's not this 49er. It's, it's the opposite. And it's not like they're giving up points or anything right. like that. It's not like, they're you know, teams are just marching. They just haven't been as sharp as we expected. Uh, they've been banged up, obviously. They, they've had some injuries, uh, you know, in the secondary. But that offense, man... If you can score like they can, like I, I watched that game the other day against Arizona, just the ease, you know, right from the opening jump. And Christian McCaffrey, I mean, he, he's the key to, to it all, I think, you know. Oh, they're overusing him. Come on. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's crazy. He's their leading rusher, obviously, but also he has more receptions than anybody else on the team as well. So he's their leading receiver when it comes to receptions. And so uh, he just adds such a different dynamic. And he looks hungry, too. He looks like a guy on a mission. And, I, you know, I know he was great uh, in Carolina. I get that. But, man, he looks like a guy who suffered the injury and, you know, is taking on the world and is looking to make a statement every time he touches the ball. Yeah, the whole issue of whether or not he should be uh, rested more, I don't think it's an issue. I know that one of the games was at the second game of the year where Kyle admitted after the game, he said, yeah, we probably used him a little more than we needed to. But yeah, because Elijah didn't play in that game, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, so then it became, ooh. But, I mean, it's football. You're trying to win every game, obviously, and he's playing better than anyone's playing right now. So you give him the ball. That's that's <laughs> why you have him on the team, right? Exactly. And, you know, it's – but but I will push back on you, though, here, uh, Whitey, regarding uh, Christian McCaffrey. They have a capable backup. Yes, they do. And Elijah, so it's not like there's no other answer. We got to, you know, you play to win the games. I get that. You do your best every play to win the game. But you have a capable backup. And so now there's people out there saying, what are you going to do with Elijah? You know, might he be trade bait? You know what? Because what's his role on this Niners team? If Christian McCaffrey is touching it, you know, 20 rushes a game, 22 rushes a game, and he's out there on third downs, what's Elijah Mitchell's role on this offense? 
to wait and see if we need him. To wait? And, oh, my. We, <laughs> we are I relegating have, this I guy. If Superman, I'm not going to give the ball to Batman. Batman's great. But no, I got see, but this is, where I, this is where I disagree with you and Shanahan because it's a long season. Yes. You got to get through 17 weeks. You know, CMC is going to take a lot of punishment. Throughout, you know, he's the rest Superman. of this season. Unless no, he's not. No, he's not. Nothing's going to No, happen. he's not. He could, I could make the argument outside of Brock Purdy, he may be the single most important player on the entire team. You cannot afford to lose CMC. Disagree. If he goes down and so, why don't you pace him a little bit? I understand. I understand. Just he's playing he's so super, great. he's playing so great. You know, it, but man, you got Elijah sitting right there. You can work him in for a bit. What did you think of Kyle saying he wished he'd gotten McCaffrey five touchdowns, but he didn't know he already had four? And he said, No one would tell me because when people tell me that during a game, I snap at them. Oh, did you hear that? I didn't yeah, hear he that. He said, one. I wish I knew he had four, right. but no one told me. And he said, Yeah, when people normally tell me that about stats during a game, he doesn't care I about that. I don't right. like right. that. So that's right. why nobody told me. No, somebody <laughs> should have told him, actually. He probably would have snapped, but then tried to find a way to, for him to get his fifth. But I do think CMC may be uh, carrying too much of a load right now, just because here we are, early October. This guy's playing great, he's touching the ball all the time. I want to make sure he's fresh come January, Whitey. That's more important to me. You know, stack up the wins now, great. But I don't care if you go 15, 16, 17. I don't care if CMC is not healthy enough when you need him the most. Superman's going to be ready. Don't worry about it. I understand what you're saying, but don't worry about it. Coming up next, we'll hear from Farhan on the Giants' immediate future and also some interesting thoughts from Farhan on the Bear. You ever watch the Bear? Farhan has some interesting comments on that and how it relates to his club next year on The Drive Guys. Kyle Draper, Whitey Gleason, Sacktown Sports. The only station in Sacramento giving you local sports coverage from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. Sacktown Sports. Drive Guys with you. Kyle Draper, Whitey Gleason. I was reminded, Kyle, yesterday of just how terrific Kings fans are. Because, you know, the Minnesota Twins yesterday broke a long streak. They won a playoff game. First time they'd won a postseason game since 2004. So the streak was similar to what the Kings yeah. and Kings fans went through. And there was a reporter at, at Target Field after the game, and he was on live, and people were streaming by, and he was talking to them about how great it was. And some of the fans are pretty excited, you know. It's like, yay. And some of them just kind of walked by. And they asked one guy, where were you in 2004? And he had his hat backwards, and he turned around and said, I was in San Diego. Go Padres. You know, so it's like, okay. <laughs> the point is, I, I was comparing that to what it was like at Golden 1 right after the Kings won the first game of the playoff yeah. series. I mean, and you couldn't even right. hear yourself think. <laughs> and this was like, yay, we won. It you was know? euphoria. It was like, <laughs> yeah. you know, people spilling into the streets, celebrating. Mm-hmm. It, it was almost a, a parade right there, you know, just to feel good. Everybody's happy. And, uh, yeah, and that's you, you talk to the players at Media Day. That's the one thing everybody mentions. Like, what do you look forward to the most the upcoming season? They say the fans. They want to get back in Golden 1 and hear that crowd again. Mm-hmm. Won't be long. You guys yep. have a game, not a home game, but you guys have a game. Game a Sunday, Sunday in Vancouver against the Raptors. I tried to get on that trip, uh, Whitey. Oh, We're yeah. not broadcasting it on TV, and so I'm not going. Uh, our boy G-Man, though, will be in the building. He'll be up there uh, north of the border broadcasting it right here for uh, yeah, Sackdown Sports. He made many trips up there when they still had the yeah, team there. and they had the squad up there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, speaking of baseball, as I was a moment ago, uh, interesting, yesterday, Farhan Zaidi spoke with the media 
in the Bay Area about what's going on with the Giants and where they go from here. And he tried to make a point about where this all is for the Giants that involved the very popular series, The Bear. See if you can follow where he's going here and what Farhan was trying to say to the media yesterday. You know, one of the shows I've been watching kind of therapeutically over the last couple months is The Bear. I don't know how many people here watch that show. Um, and there's there's an episode in the second season um, about, uh, you know, one of the characters in the show who goes and works as a stage at this three-star Michelin restaurant. Um, do you, have you, do you, do you watch the show? No, I'm okay. I'm, I'm right. Going. Not that one. I'm talking about when he goes to work at the, the restaurant, the episode Forks. Yeah. So... Anyway, uh, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Everyone watch the bear, though. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing show. So anyway, the 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 you know this guy's a little annoyed at the fact he's he he works as a stage. The first week, all he's doing is cleaning forks, and then the next week, he's cleaning spoons, and it's like really mundane. Um, but the episode really revolves around um, the the story and narrative behind a sign that's up on in the restaurant kitchen that says every second counts and um you know it's just sort of you know when i was watching that i really identified with it because to be a part of excellence anywhere you know it just no detail can be too small and for us i think you know that's what we want our brand to be that every second counts Okay, now you tell me, Kyle, if you're a Giants fan, are you like, Where, where's my wand? I no, got to buy tickets. That, that, is, that is just, what, what did he say? I, like, I, I just listened to, listened to it for 90 seconds. And this is, a, this is the problem with the Giants organization right now. It's not inspiring. It's, 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 you, there's no hope like, you know what? We got the right people in charge. They're going to turn it around. Farhan is our guy. He said he's this speaking is what in riddles. We want our brand to be right, right. Which is which is no. That's not what you. If you're, hey, you know, you're doing uh, it wrong. Right. If if you're a library or something like that, yeah, that's what you want your brand to be. You know, come here, get that knowledge. You know, but you're talking about a MLB pro team in a great baseball town like San Francisco, and to me, he did not inspire anybody with what he just said he didn't he didn't sell one season ticket he didn't sell you know one one bag of pot like he if if i'm a giants fan i'm only more frustrated because if i'm farhan what happened this past season is unacceptable yes you know that's the message you should be trying to convey to your fan base we are too proud we are too great of a franchise to have missed the postseason that won't happen again Instead, he took the opposite tack pretty much. And, you know, it's just I'm I'm left uninspired. Now, he was speaking in the dugout. Do you know why he was speaking in the dugout? Have you heard the story? No. He was in the dugout because the conference room where you'd normally have something like that Mm -hmm. was taken up by the clubhouse guys. And why is that? Because the space where the clubhouse guys usually are is taken up by, I kid you not, the computers and the data scientists. I'm not making that up. And as we say that, we watch Bruce Bochy and the Rangers advance in the playoffs, you know, like real baseball guys, you know, old school guys. And, you know, that's part of the problem. We've we've talked about it before about this Giants work. You know, they rely too much on the analytics instead of the the baseball, you know, that that we've all grown up and and loved. And so uh, that was an uninspiring (laughs) message. And 
Somehow he 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 still has a job. We'll see how long that lasts. Like I got to imagine this is a pivotal year for him as well going forward. Here's the key to it all. He says if we had played better and had a chance to clinch the playoffs, uh, would the attendance and energy have been different in the ballpark? He says I think almost certainly. So I continue to think that's our primary responsibility. Just win games. That's what fans want. That's what is going to attract fans to the team. End quote. But it's going to take more than that. There are teams that are analytically driven like the Dodgers. They they kind of hide it from people. There's still people right, say, ah, right. oh, this is Dodger yeah. baseball. Yeah. So it's got if you win, that's fine, but you've got to do something that's relatable and you gotta have a manager that's relatable to your fans. But I I'll push back and I'll ask you this. When they won 107 games, that place was rocking. It, it was bumping. You know, it was packed out. I was there when they clinched uh the division. With that being said. They still had Gabe Kapler. He was still the same manager that he was this past year, right? Right. And so, you know, to Farhan's point, if you win, fans will come. I I don't think it matters necessarily, you know, how you do it or whatever. Are you a franchise? Are you a team that goes out there and is winning, has a chance to win a championship? What happens is once the trade deadline comes and you slip further and further away from a playoff spot – you know, lethargy starts to creep in. You know, fans are like, ah, whatever, you know, we'll get them next year or something like that. And so I do think, you know, to Farhan's point, winning cures all ills. You know, I don't care if you go out there and get Aaron Judge or a big name or whatever. I don't care if you have, you know, uh, starters or relievers or, you know, platoon guys, however you want to spin it, long as you win, long as you get the job done. And that was Kapler's biggest thing. He didn't win. If Kapler would have won, he'd still have a job. They didn't win. 107 wins was incredible. They were ahead of schedule, yes. But the thing is, the way they won 107 games, they were fortunate, and it doesn't apply. For example, that year, uh, Gosman was gone the next year. And Gosman's like, I wanted to stay there but they because they were cutting payroll. So right. I would argue, you're right, if you win – then fans are going to come. But it's really hard to win the way they're going about their business. And if you don't win a lot and you have this unrelatable, computer-driven product that you're putting on the field, fans just have a hard time caring about what you're doing. If they don't care, you've lost. Yeah, and I agree with you that. That's the worst, right? Like, when, when you don't care, you know? You you know, you may hate what uh, Farhan's doing. You may love what he's doing. But if you don't even care what he's, you know, it's like, as a franchise, you, you can't have that. But, you know, would you rather be, you know, the Yankees? You know, they, they do it their way. They they shop. They buy big players, you know, big names, and they've flamed out. But or, the Giants should have. I think this is why some fans get upset. The Giants, they make enough money where they should be able to have the best of both worlds. You can run your team like the A's do or used to Moneyball, but also do that with a lot of money so that if you make a mistake, ah, you're okay. But they don't. They still run the team uh, with a smaller, lower budget. And I think that's what's so frustrating for fans. And it, and it should be frustrating for fans because I, I've mentioned it time and time again on this show. San Francisco, it's a great baseball city. It's a baseball town. Uh, the Giants are a proud organization. They aren't hurting for money uh, down there. And when ownership, you know, they should be in the mix for all the big. Honestly, they should be the Dodgers to an extent. They should be the Red Sox, the Yankees. They should be. They could and, be. They could be. not to. Exactly. And that's sort of what's happening in Boston, too, to an extent. Boston isn't going after the big names or signing 
I think they're going to try to make a play for Shohei uh, this offseason. But, you know, there's no reason why these upper echelon franchises should not be spending the money. So you're not going to, like, every day when you wake up, play that Farhan speech? To no, no, no. That's not, <laughs> maybe to go to bed, right? Maybe to put me to sleep or something like that. That's awful. Uh, we're back to the Kings when we come back. Is two bigs too big for the Kings with Draper and Gleason? Drive guys, Sackdown Sports.